Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 660 of the Milk Bar. Jason Feist here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, we have music from Freya Wolf. We'll be letting us know about her brand new album and current single. We'll be having a bit of a chat with two of the team behind One Night in Barrel in the rehearsed reading, which is its latest outing in Worcester in March. Also, March into April brings Codswell Dramatic Society to the stage as part of the Codswell Arts Festival. They are producing Steel Magnolias. And we find out about a book co-written by Paul Downey, who joins us, and Dave Hastings, talking about the sort of genre of the slasher film and the movie Black Christmas. That's all on the way on the show this week. Codswell Dramatic Society are back as part of the Codswell Arts Festival. Wendy and Colin Peterson join me now to tell me more. Hello to you both. Hello, Hello. Jason. So what is happening? Because uh, obviously you guys get involved each and every time the arts festival is about. And uh, this, this year is no exception as things are kind of returning to normal much more so than they have been in the last couple of years. Yes, well, the last arts festival would have been the year that we all went into lockdown. And we were rehearsing Joking Apart by Alan Aikborn for that one. And we held our last uh, rehearsal on the Monday and the world went into lockdown on, I think it was the Saturday, so we had to pull the play, unfortunately. But this time we're back with Steel Magnolias by uh, Robert Harling, uh, a very well-known film, perhaps a, a lesser-known play, but my own personal feeling is that the play is far superior to the film. So, so which one came first? Was it the play or the film? The play came first and then they made the film. The play was written in 1987 and the film was produced in the early 1990s with uh, big stars such as Dolly Parton, Daryl Hannah, Julia Roberts, Shirley MacLaine, uh, to name but a few. So big shoes to fill for your cast. Who have you got lined up playing the parts in this one? Well, I'm playing part of Truvy, who's the hairdresser, uh, along with Fiona Bingham. And uh, we've got Paula, we've got Jackie. And uh, playing the Julia Roberts role is Ali. When you come to putting anything on like this, you always stage it with utter professionalism. And uh, it, it, with even more eyes on you because of the Arts Festival link as well, it might bring some people who've not seen your work before to the stage as well, which is I, good. I would hope it does. And we're, we're doing it slightly differently. Uh, Sammy, who's directing it, wanted to do something that was a bit off the wall. So we're not staging it in the round. We're not staging it on, on the stage. We're not staging it on a thrust. We're staging it in a corner, <laughs> which right. is a different experience for the audience. I don't think we've worked, we certainly haven't worked this corner of the hall since, uh, <clears throat> since I've been a member of CDS anyway. So it is going to be different and hopefully the audience uh, will get a, 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 an entirely different experience to anything that we've ever served up to them before. Because of course it's set in a hairdressing salon, mm -hmm. so we've got the full hairdressing uh, salon accessories. We've got the backwash, we've got the hair dryers, the oh, chairs, um, manicure station. We've got the lot. So it's a nice of you for Colin to let you borrow his hair dryer. This is true, <laughs> yes. And I've lent them my hair as well. That, that all helps. <laughs> so uh, the, the story itself, though, this uh, has its serious moments, doesn't it? It certainly does, yes. Uh, it, I mean, it's basically the story of the friendship between the six women in this uh, small town. It's set uh, in Louisiana. Uh, 
it's got some very funny moments. Um, not hilarious, not laugh out loud, but there's yes. some very funny lines in it. But then there's a serious side to it as well. It's very poignant. It's very heartwarming. There should be something for everybody there. Yeah, I mean, poignant is a good way of looking at it. It is. It's going to make you think as well, and and uh, not so much judge, but sort of work out the interactions between these women. Yeah, indeed, uh, and it's working really well. I mean, there's so much support within the cast and within the society. Um, it, it is helping to recreate the the story that is Steel Magnolias. When it comes to the arts festival, obviously this means tickets are on sale in a different way to, to what people would normally get when they're buying into a CDS. Yes, edition. it does, uh, because we're not selling the tickets. Uh, tickets can be obtained from the arts festival. Now, they're not using a box office, a, a physical box office, uh, but they're available via their website, which is www.codsalartsfestival.org.uk. Now, if people want tickets, if they go, go to that website, consulartsfestival.org.uk, they can either download a paper application form or they can apply for tickets online. If they want that information again, it is uh, on our uh, website, so they can get straight to the, the, the proper site via our website, consultdramaticsociety.co.uk, or via our hotline, our usual number, which is 01902 267 322, and the information is given there. So you can check out how, how to do it. And this is part of a, a massive festival, and it, it's always uh, great to be part of. What are the dates that you are running, and what are the dates for the festival? Right, we're running from Wednesday the 30th of March through to Friday the, uh, the 1st of April at 7.30 in the evening, and then on Saturday the 2nd of April, we're doing a matinee, on the uh, well at 2 30. So and it's basically from the 30th of March to the 2nd of April. And that all fits around the uh, the festival itself. We're the opening act for the festival, really. And the festival will continue for the best part of two weeks with a variety of other things uh, going on around, around, mm -hmm. around the, the village. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a village that does love its arts. It is really a, a centre and a bit of a beacon for, for the arts. And this is something that you guys do and are a part of throughout the year. Uh, what other productions have you got in the planning for 2022? Well, we've yet to decide on our September play. Um, we will be doing our normal patrons evening, which is open to the public sometime in June. Uh, we're also getting involved with the Queen's Jubilee ce celebrations, uh, which are being held in well, throughout the country, of course, but we are getting involved in Billbrook. They've asked us to take part in the activities that they've going, got going on. Uh, our September play is yet to be decided. We may well do Joking Apart again. It depends if we can get the cast. Well, yeah, obviously everyone was primed and ready for that, so it'd be uh, good to see that one say. And I know from when we did the interview on it, it sounds like a fantastic piece, and I think it's always a pleasure to, uh, to watch on stage. Yes, it, it, it's uh, it's quite a good run for that, that particular play. It's supposed to be a, a happy, feel-good one, uh, but 8-born being 8-born, it's going to have its twist at the end, because they <laughs> always do.
Absolutely. Well, whatever you do, that's going to be amazing. I say we've got Steel Magnolias as part of the Codsall Arts Festival and uh, you can go along, get your tickets and enjoy a brilliant production in your home that is Codsall Village Hall. Wonderful setting, wonderful venue and in the corner for the first time in living memory. It should be a treat. Uh, for now, Colin and Wendy Peterson, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. See you again soon. It's been good being here. With the single, I came here to dance on the album. Just another day, Freya Wolf is doing some amazing things in the world of music just at the moment and joins me now to tell me more. Hello to you. Hello there, Jason. How are things in your musical world at the minute? Because it's been a challenging time of late and uh, uh, I kind of get the impression you enjoy being in front of an audience. Yes, I am missing the wilder side of making an album. <laughs> uh, the celebrations with the band, the parties, the gigs. It's been a quiet time. Um, it's quite busy at the moment. Everything happening quite fast now, uh, but it has been quite quiet the last year. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, back to it. And I suppose it's given you time to, to get the album to where you wanted it to be as well, because uh, when, when, you, when there's pressure on you with gigging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, trying to find that time to be in the studio can be a little tricky. That's right. We have had time to give it that extra attention to detail. We took our time. We enjoyed that time. Uh, to really build something a bit better, a bit bigger. So tell me about the single to start off with. Okay, so I Came Here to Dance is a bit more upbeat. It's intended to get people up dancing. Um, it's sort of got a bit of a Motown feel to it uh, with the chorus girls as well, so a bit fun. Um, and the actual lyrics themselves uh, are about when I was younger and I would go out and you get, you know, the boys coming over charming Sh you. Surely this still happens. <laughs> oh yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and but but I used to go out, I used to love to go out and just dance and enjoy the music and karaoke and so the lyrics of the song reflect this. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, I mean, your karaoke nights must have been absolutely amazing. You go out and you, you basically steal the show when it came there to, to, to sing in any local pub or bar. It was been absolutely awesome. And, and, and may I ask, what decade are you in then now, if you're making out that uh, this is a while ago? Yeah, so I'm born in the late 70s. Right, so you, you, I, I knew you were younger than me. I thought you were a lot younger than me rather than... So I'm early 70s, so... Uh, but that means you lived through some great times. I mean, you'd have caught the back end uh, of the 80s and that music and uh, everything that went on there. I mean, that was a fun time. So uh, there would have been recurrent hits popping up in uh, in what you, I suppose you and your parents were listening to. But then the 90s had this uh, amazing indie vibe and that would have been us, where you were when you were actually in your uh, teens? That's right. Um, my friends were really into Nirvana. Uh, and then, of course, you had the things like Take That come about. No, exactly. So I avoided all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I stuck with the older style. I loved, you know, Bob Dylan, Bob Marley, obviously the soul singers, which is, you know, where I went headed my life. Mm -hmm. um, I, I absolutely loved the Bond singers and the big songs and mm. these amazing voices. So I stayed well away from the indie music. Yeah, but, but, I mean, but you had things like, uh, I suppose, M people were one of the influences because they had a great soulful sound. You got the Absolutely. people like the Fugees doing a bit of rap with some stuff. So there's, there's always been that element in popular music, whatever happens, hasn't there? So I suppose you, you, can, you can tap into that and use that as, a, as an influence too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, 
singers like that being around when I was a teenager were the things I would be going out singing with my friends. Uh, yeah, fantastic voices all through all through time. You pick them out, and I'm hoping I'm joining them. <laughs> well, I, I, this this is uh, to be expected. To be fair, because uh, I mean you, you've had. Uh, success with with the touring and and musically when it comes to releasing work that it's always a, a, an odd world these days isn't it with the number of different platforms things go out of uh, uh, what is your preferred way of having your music listened to are you uh, a vinyl girl or do you are you happy with cd and uh, and download and streaming i mean the world now is download and streaming but I am glad to see there's been a surge of vinyl. I am a vinyl girl. Uh, there is no better way in my mind to listen to the music. Um, and being a 60s, 70s soul singer, I think it's inevitable my songs should become a vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> so is that something that's happening immediately or is it something that will, will come as the, uh, the album gets more traction? I think as it becomes more attractive, uh, it has been mentioned in the studio to become CD and then vinyl. So that, that is something that will follow. And uh, so I know you're working on a, a, a video and uh, does this mean you'll get to, to do a bit of dancing too, show us your moves at the same time as singing, or maybe harking back to your karaoke days? That would be something. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, you're going to stick with some imagery around uh, the whole dancing feel? Definitely. Okay. I think for me, um, as much as I love the deeper soul songs, the big voice, I also love producing music that gets people up and gives them some energy. There's nothing like waking up in the morning, putting on some music, gives you the energy no matter what you're doing, even if you're just cleaning your, your kitchen, you're dancing around and that's me. So I want to share that side of me and, and hope to bring that to other people in their homes. Mm -hmm. So onto the album then, and we talked about the fact it's been honed uh, to perfection. Uh, and uh, how do you see that as a journey and, and the story that it tells? Because uh, you, 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 are you high energy throughout or do you like to take that chill moment to reflect a little too? Absolutely. It's given me the time to have a bit of both. It's not all rush, rush, rush. It's not all high energy. Um, I have been in my dressing gown and pyjamas during COVID in the studio <laughs> um, with a cup of tea, enjoying that. You know, to, to give you the time to really get into the feeling of the songs as well. So I, I wouldn't stand there and sing a sad song in a really high energy mood. Um, but maybe if I was out in the normal world, I'd have to. Uh, but I've been able to take the time, sit back, think about these really sad times and, and really try and give my all. Uh, so you see, yeah, a bit of both. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on, uh, when when you're gigging with this, obviously it'll be the mood you're in on the day. But uh, That's when you right, I mean, it will be a whole different scenario. <laughs> but then when we're gigging, we will be going out with completely high energy Motown funk all the way. <laughs> and, and how do you build that sound? Have you, have you got a, a group of artists that you work with as, as the backing band all the time or do session musicians come in and out and uh, have to sign up to the high energy ethos when required? Uh, absolutely. Um, we pull in who we need when we need them. Uh, Ross in the studio has been fantastic in pulling us some absolute legends from around the world. Uh, so, yes, it, it's literally sent away, comes back. It's either right, it's not right, goes back again all around the world. Um, and then I get copies coming through. Do I like this? What do I think? And it builds and it builds right to that last moment and then released the second we're happy with it released. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's how the music works. It's building 
Where do we find you on all the socials and online? And of course, what do we search for when it comes down to your music in the streaming services that are out there? Okay, so online, um, I'm on Facebook. You can follow me on Freya's Musical Journey. Um, I'm also on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn. And then you can find me on SoundCloud, Spotify. YouTube is building. Uh, the videos do come a bit later, so but we are on there. Um, and you can also download Apple, Amazon. Um, we're, we're quite across the board. So pretty much everywhere. And just search for Freya Wolf and you will find some absolutely amazing music. Right, I'm going to let you introduce the single now. Go for it. Do, do me a quick sales pitch and sell the song. Okay, so I am Freya Wolf. This is my new single, I Came Here to Dance. I hope you are all up on your feet enjoying the sounds of soul from the 60s. It sounds like it's going to be brilliant fun. Freya, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's lovely to be here.
1974 slasher pick, a Canadian production, Black Christmas, is currently the subject of a book looking at its history and talking to some of the stars. Paul Downey joins me now to tell me more about it. Hello, sir. Good morning. What's going on with the, the book itself? Because this is reminiscing about a movie, which is, as I, I think it's been remade. There are three in the series, and it, it is part of almost a franchise uh, that has become very much a, a cult-following sort of film. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a bit of a journey because initially the idea for the book was we were just going to focus on 1974 Bob Clark film um, that obviously is fair. It's it's kind of cultish, but it's got a, quite a big following amongst the kind of the, the hardcore, shall we say, in terms of the horror genre. Um, and it kind of morphed from there because we found that there was legs in uh, talking about the 2006 and 2019 remake, and at the time of writing it. Um, Initially, it was the 1974 film we were focusing on, and then it was in, it was in 2019 when the when the when the latest film in the in the, in the series, shall we say, was really was being released. So, um, and just I I just found from doing research and making contacts and networking that there was a bit more to the to the stories. 74 is very much a reminiscing retrospective. Whereas the other two are, are very much kind of troubled productions, which is something that is quite interesting to write about, especially the the sort of access that we got in terms of what actually happened behind the scenes, which was really interesting. Because mm. you're working with Dave Hastings on this project, and you both have your names appear on the uh, the cover. And I mean, I know Dave's interest in horror goes back uh, a long way, and 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 so it's some of the classic horror as well. And, and this story itself, I mean, there is talk of it being born out of a, a true series of events in the sixties into the seventies. Yeah, um, there was a, a series. Uh, well, I, I say series. I made a case, and I think it actually was in Canada, if I remember right, in terms from the research, uh, and it kind of bases itself around. Um, I can't remember what the urban. It's basically they almost call it an urban legend now in terms of it. It's um, the man upstairs with the babysitter or something like that, and basically it kind of reminisced. Uh, well, so it kind of almost riffed on what actually goes on in Black Christmas in terms of this harassing phone calls, and uh, a young girl who was a babysitter uh, was basically said that there's somebody in the house, and then by the time that the police got to to her after she made the phone call, it was too late, and they'd. Um, I think they, that the the killer had left some inscribings on the wall, and I'm not sure if they ever found him. Which, um, in terms of Black Christmas, it kind of hits a lot of their marks. And again, looking a bit forward in terms of a few years later, obviously Halloween with the ba babysitter murders, basically mm -hmm. um, similar themes in terms of like the kind of the genesis, what you probably say of the of the slasher film. But that, that again, that side of things was really interesting because we were able to really go back and look at the old newspaper clippings and and kind of reports and that. And uh, talking to one of the uncredited screenwriters as well, um, he gave us an insight in terms of they, they, they used it as a kind of a, a very basic outline, but then they, they kind of adapted it into obviously what it became. And, and itself, uh, it was a, a profitable film. I mean, it, it cost uh, just over $600,000 to produce and took more than $4 million at the box office. So it was a movie which was successful. And, and even the 2019 often panned reimagining re uh, still did reasonably well financially too. So, yeah, the money's come back on, on all these projects. And I think that it, it, it's, it's, it's a, a story and a, a, a set of tales here which are uh, striking fear into people's hearts because it, it is the sadly realistic way that we've seen actual true life things happen here. And, and did that affect the actors that you've been able to speak to when they were filming, knowing that these things can and have happened? 
I don't think it was really leaned on too much from what we can gather from the people that we spoke to and, and looking back in terms of historical articles and interviews and, and everything else. It wasn't really alluded to very much. I mean, I suppose we have to really put it in that kind of time capsule and the fact that it was 1974, the horror genre was in a very different place. You know, we are, we're kind of just about post-exorcist, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but then obviously we haven't really got a lot of the classics, shall we say, that we, we already had, into, uh, that, that we got years later, shall we say, um, that are more renowned. We, it was very much a, um, we're, we're, we're post-psycho, but we're not really kind of into the, the Halloween groove and, the, and it becoming a bit more mainstream. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was alluded to too much, not from what I can gather. Uh, what was quite interesting, actually, in terms of the, like you mentioned about the real life aspect was um, from, and, and, and I didn't know this until we started researching, from the 2006 remake, there was a, um, the writer, director Glenn Morgan basically looked at, he looked at the kind of the Black Christmas mythology, shall we say, and then he obviously reinterpreted it. And he, um, he based his kind of Billy backstory, shall we say, on, um, I think the guy's name was Edward Kemper, um, who was a, an American serial killer. And he was, um, he was featured quite heavily in the series Mindhunter that was on Netflix. And um, from watching that in terms of the, there was a very, uh, and then obviously looking into the backstory and things like that, there, there was a lot of um, like close connections, shall we say. And it was, it was quite interesting uh, because there's three films, but they're, they're, they're three very different animals and, and speaking to writers and in some cases directors and that we got, um, in insight insights and in it's, it's very weird because they're almost black christmas in name sometimes and they're very different animals in other senses mm-hmm. yeah because i mean you spoke to so a number of the of the people involved in that original production and uh, were there any names that stood out for you that you're really proud to have spoken to um we we managed to speak to um a couple of people that didn't actually meet him who hadn't been interviewed before so the editor stan cole uh, the costume designer carol uh, Karen bromley who hadn't really spoke about the film before, like really in in detail, and then they gave us you know reams and reams of information. Uh, we managed to get a couple of Skype calls in with uh, one of the actors, Nick Mancuso. I think he, we went on to do a lot of genre films, and he did the voice or one of the voices of Billy on the phone, which was quite interesting. And and he did the voice during the Skype chat, which was very unnerving. <laughs> um, and uh, the camera operator as well, Albert J. Dunk, who we we spoke to from Canada. Um, he basically had the the camera almost propped onto his head, and he was the one who was doing all the POV shots during the '74 film. So that was really fascinating in terms of the for filmmaking geeks. It was it was a very fascinating insight, mm. uh, particularly because the way in which technology has moved on. I mean, you've talked about the slasher movie coming to its own after this. Uh, I mean, really, it was the '70s into the '80s as technology improved. The sort of size camera you'd have had to have put on your head at that point, unless it was yeah, a little 16 mil thing. Would have been yeah, absolutely massive, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a whole different world to, to where we live now, where you can actually put a, a, an 8K camera this sort of size into a character and never be visible on set. Yeah, and, and and it was almost like I think I think he described it. It's almost like a harness he was wearing on his shoulders, so it almost like it was like propped around his his head and his shoulders. And obviously, at times, there, I mean, there was only really a couple of scenes when he was climbing, but obviously, it's. It's very dangerous, you know, and then obviously it's it's kind of it's it's independent filmmaking, I suppose. That's you know you you know he who dares wins. <laughs> well, you're exploring the background and giving an insight to the movie. It's almost as if you want to you know, watch the movie, read the book, and then watch the movie again, so you can sort of marry up all the different moments. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and, and certainly one thing that I found, which was quite strange, obviously, is, is we were going through and analysing the films and, and I almost kind of divorced myself from the films after we'd finished uh, mm -hmm. writing it and, and kind of sent it over to the publishers. But now I feel like we've kind of exercised the demon and I can kind of enjoy them again because we, we, we were studying them so much in terms of commentaries, analysis, you know, we're looking at frames and shots and everything else. So, um, yeah, I can finally enjoy Black Christmas again. <laughs> <laughs> in its own special slasher kind of a way, of course. Uh, it, 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 if it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, it's not working, is it? No, no. So where do we find the book? How can we get hold of a copy? Uh, so it's available on um, Amazon. I think Amazon UK are stocking it. Uh, I think they've got limited copies. And you can also go to uh, the publisher Bear Manor Media. Um, they've got a Shopify site. And basically, if you, it's, I think it's based on the front page. But um, as, um, as we're speaking, um, on the, I think it's actually on Valentine's Day, ironically, um, uh, the paperback edition will also be available. So there's, there's going to be a hardback and a paperback. And then I think down the line, there's going to be an ebook version as well. So that's something to come. Uh, so what is the full title and uh, how do we, I'm not going to go for ISBN number, but everything except the ISBN number, please. Yeah, uh, so it's It's Me, Billy, Black Christmas Revisited, and it's by Paul Downey, myself, and the uh, uh, co-author David Hastings. And yes, available from Bear Manor Media and Amazon UK. Oh, Paul, great speaking to you. Thank you for joining us, and uh, good luck with that. And, and uh, yeah, interesting to see what the future projects uh, come out of your love for the horror genre. All right, thank you very much. The story of Marilyn Monroe will be brought to life in a rehearsed reading taking place on the 18th of March in Worcester. With full details on the show, I'm joined now by Jade Scottford and also Laura Liptrock. Hello. Hello. So, first of all, uh, Laura, we've spoken a, a little on this tale in the past. Give us an update on where you are with what's going on. Okay, so uh, the last time we spoke, um, it was the Starbridge rehearsed reading. That's the very first rehearsed reading we're going to do. And since then, it's, um, it's, it's gone crazy. Uh, it's been performed across the globe. Uh, it's been translated into 22 languages. Um, and we are doing a rehearsed reading in Worcester, my university city. Uh, and then in May, it's got its first full production in um, Cardiff. And then we're hoping to take it to bigger productions, bigger theatres, because it's been so successful everywhere we put it on. Everybody mm. loved it, really lapped it up. Great positive feedback and great reviews. Yeah, because it's interesting doing this as a rehearsed reading. It hasn't gone to a full production as yet. And I mean, you're local to us, which is uh, the main reason we're having a chat with you. And uh, it's great to see your work being uh, carried around. So how, how involved have you been in the, the, the construction process, as it were? Um, well, I saw a post on Facebook. Um, we're doing One Night with Marilyn by P.T. Rose, a rehearsed read. Uh, so I was in the first reading and then I've sort of I'm executive producer for the Worcester Read. Uh, that's sort of come from nowhere really. Um, yeah, because, because I was in the first reading, I was sort of in there. It's interesting seeing how it develops and, and then taking a different role in uh, the, the production this far. And who knows what May will hold when that uh, full production comes to fruition in Cardiff? Well, yes, definitely. And the, and the future um, bigger productions, because we'd really like to do one in the Midlands as well. Uh, so, of course, I will be auditioning for that, and fingers crossed. Because um, in the Starbridge one, I played Gladys, uh, Marilyn's mom, and in this one, I'm playing uh, MN2. Um, not the not the main Marilyn, but sort of the Hollywood alter ego Marilyn, 
um, brought to life and she has a confrontational conversation with uh, the real, the real Marilyn. So, yeah, and we're looking 60 years since Marilyn passed now, and uh, obviously to still be such a focus of attention in this time, uh, I mean, she's totally iconic. And Jade, tell us about what you're doing in this, this version of the, uh, the production. So I'm playing um, the main version of Marilyn, MM1, and um, it's just, it's fascinating to me. One thing that struck me, because she said it's been 60 years since she passed, um, but my, uh, my, my dad's wife um, is fascinated by Marilyn. And so I grew up surrounded by sort of pictures of Marilyn, hearing stories about her. So to me, even though she died 30 odd years before I was born, it's just fascinating to be able to sort of bring her to life a little bit, I think. And, and, and a lot of people seem to think they know her. So this will actually... Yeah, give a bit more background in the, the way in which her life has been perceived and what was really going on. And as you talked about the, the kind of alter ego Marilyn uh, that's there, it's a talking to her uh, and not being the, the real her who's behind the, the, basically the mask that is Marilyn Monroe as we know her. Definitely, definitely. And I think so much of that and so much of what the play talks about is to do with fame and to an extent the curse of fame. You know, Laura's character mm2 is created because she was famous but that was never going to be who she really really truly was and i think she still suffered because she was always expected to be mm2 but but deep down she was this real real person who was suffering with with mental illness and other other problems in her life as well Mm -hmm. uh, and Laura, I mean, you've played both the mother and now MM2 in these rehearsed readings. So uh, has that given you more of an insight as you've tried to get into each of those roles? Oh, definitely, yes. Uh, what I found really useful was I played um, Ida Belenda in another read. and She was a very, um, mat another maternal figure in Marilyn's life. And she was very similar to Gladys in that she was sort of intimidating and, and powerful. Um, and it was really interesting doing the research and sort of creating, trying to make those two characters different. And um, yeah, it's it's fascinating doing research, things I never knew. I mean, I knew she had a problem with her mother. Um, I, I just sort of heard that in films and stuff, but but to really do the research, find out what was really going on in the background, in the back, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been fascinating, really, really an insight into fame itself and, you know, things that, people today um, who are trying to get on in the active world, ourselves included, should be wary of. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jade, how does it work for you being a rehearsed reader as well? Because it is something very different to putting on a full production. Uh, you're not in costumes and makeup, I suppose. You are going as a person in the rehearsal room. Um, I, I'm really enjoying it, actually, because I think by removing um, that element of costume, by, by stripping it down and making it very simple, what we're doing at the moment is it's just all about character. It's all about bringing those characters to life um, and just almost exclusively focusing on that. And the lovely thing is that then all these rehearsed readings have sort of developed that. And as various casts go on into the full productions, they can take that with them and then add the elements of sort of costume, set um, and things like that. 
And, and, and Laura, do you approach it uh, much more like a radio play? Is there kind of uh, a, a soundscape to it as well? Or do you allow the audience to imagine that in their mind as they hear the story? Yes, we are sort of approaching it like a radio play. Uh, there aren't any soundscapes at the moment. So yes, the audience imagining the sounds of clanking doors and footsteps and so on. Um, but the way we've been rehearsing it, we've been rehearsing over Zoom, um, we've switched our cameras off. And that's, I found that really freeing, just concentrating on the voice. And also, I think that keeps it uh, more fresh when, because we haven't met in person yet, we're, we're going to meet um, shortly before the performance itself. Um, that will keep it very fresh and the facial reactions will be more natural because we're not used to working with each other in person. Mm -hmm. And you can take that sort of risk with a rehearsed read. So it sounds like it's going to be, uh, again, another great opportunity to see this play in its early stages before it then goes mm. into full production. And as you said, hopefully we'll see that in the Midlands. We will talk when we've got a Midlands date for that one too, which will be absolutely fantastic. Meanwhile, though, where do we go for more information to get tickets if you fancy a trip just down the road to Worcester? Okay, so um, it's at the Hive in Worcester. Um, you can go to Eventbrite uh, and just look up One Night with Marilyn and it will be there. Um, all the links on my social media, uh, my Facebook, my Twitter, um, Jade's Facebook and Twitter. But probably the best is Eventbrite. But be quick. Be quick. There's only a few tickets left and they are free. So it's not going to cost you anything to go along apart from no. your travel to get there. So it makes it a great value night out, however you want to work it. Jade Scottford and also Laura Dropped. thanks for joining us and we look forward to the show. Thank you. Thank you. That's a lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 661 next week. I'll see you then. Good for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.